Hello, and welcome to another installment of The Weird Chronicles. Each episode, we bring you tales of action and adventure from Malifaux and the other side. Many powerful individuals in Malifaux have underlings whose job it is to do their dirty work. Dr. Douglas McMorning is no exception. In this story, we follow the long-suffering Sebastian as he pays a visit to a client in the Guild Enclave. I hope you enjoy part one of The Errand. The Errand by Anthony Hicks Then it's settled. You'll take Clyde with you. He needs a good run out to stretch his legs, announced Dr. Douglas McMorning as he strode into the laboratory. It's not good for him being cooped up here all day with nothing to do. Sebastian looked up from his work. The oil rag in his hand paused midway to the circular saw in his other. Sir? He inquired. Clyde, said McMorning, as if that cleared everything up. You'll take him with you later this morning when you go out on your little errand. You haven't forgotten already, have you? We were just talking about it. Sebastian smiled crookedly. His left eye rotated slowly in its socket before sliding off to the left. His master was prone to starting conversations when no one else was present, and Sebastian had learned early on that smiling and nodding was often the best course of action. Honestly, Sebastian, sometimes I believe you're willfully stupid. It makes me think you'd serve better in some other fashion. Sebastian tightened his grip on the circular saw as a hard edge glittered in his master's eyes. Maybe later, said McMorning, after you get back. He relaxed his grip slightly and began packing the deadly device into a large black sack. It was evident he would be leaving soon and he would no doubt have need of the saw given the tasks he was usually required to perform. Seeing as you weren't listening the first time, said McMorning irritably, I need you to visit Theodore Derber at the Guild Enclave. It seems he's run into a spot of bother over something or other. He wasn't specific in his letter and he needs my assistance. I've got too much to do to go pandering after every petty bureaucrat that's ever done me a favour, so you go and see what he wants. Sebastian swung the heavy sack over his shoulder, settling the weight across his twisted spine, and nodded at his master. He started walking towards the tunnels leading out of the laboratory and into the sewers. And of course, take Clyde with you. Sebastian halted mid-step. He turned awkwardly, and looked despairingly at his master, his left eye beginning another journey of adventure. Sir? The heavy manhole cover clanged down, and Sebastian straightened up, stuffing the manhole key back into his sack. His back ached from exertion, and the damned weather was doing little to improve his mood. It was midsummer in Malifaux, the longest day of the year, and consequently the shortest night of the year as well. For most of the city's inhabitants, that was a good thing, a time of celebration, 
More sun and fewer hours of darkness meant less chance of some terrible fate befalling you. Less chance of a knife in the back while taking the shortcut home. Less time for resurrectionists to ply their unholy trade. Less night for the terrifying neverborn to hide in. Yes, for most people, it was a good thing. Sebastian was not most people. He had never been one to enjoy bright sunshine, and the little fates and impromptu festivals that seemed to spring up on every street corner did nothing for him either. He was oblivious to the joy midsummer seemed to bring out in people. Everyone was always smiling and joking, the men chasing after the women, the women leading them on, and all of them giggling. Laughter and flirtatious games were a distraction he endured, but never really got on board with. It may have been something to do with his chosen profession, but Sebastian never gave it much thought. Of all the things that Midsummer brought, the only one to stand out in Sebastian's mind was the heat. As he stood in the dark and relative cool of an alley just inside the downtown district, he could feel it. An abyssal pressure of high temperature and even higher humidity. It prickled his skin with sweat and sapped his strength. It pressed down on him, dragging his otherwise limitless stamina with it and battering him with its relentless onslaught. He sighed, slung the sack over his shoulder and lumbered toward the street. After several steps, he stopped and looked back. Clyde had not moved. Sebastian rolled his solitary, well-behaved eye and trudged back. The flesh construct towered over him, a mountain of pale meat broken here and there by the gleam of metal. Before leaving, Sebastian had done his best to cover the network of splints, tubes, valves, sprockets, pumps, and other less identifiable machines that erupted haphazardly from the construct's skin. Clyde currently resembled a walking hessian sack with two eye holes cut into it. Sebastian waved his hands around in front of Clyde. Nothing happened. He jumped up and down. Nothing. He jumped up and down and waved his arms. Still nothing. Finally, he reached up and tugged at the sack around Clyde's head. The ragged stub of a nose popped out of one of the eye holes. He pressed the offending feature back inside the sack and tugged in the other direction. One bloodshot eye appeared and gazed balefully down at him. Sebastian shrugged and started off toward the street again, waving for Clyde to follow him. A ponderous thud announced the flesh construct's compliance. He took solace from the fact he only had the one of McMorning's creations to worry about. The yipping started about twenty feet from the alley mouth. Sebastian froze. Perhaps he had imagined it. He listened intently, straining to hear the slightest of sounds. The alley was silent. Clyde strode purposefully, obliviously into the preoccupied hunchback, sending him sprawling to the ground. Sebastian fell heavily, his chin crunching into the alley floor with no small amount of force. He rolled onto his back, glaring up at the flesh construct which had now ceased all movement. He was struggling to sit up, a venomous curse just cresting his lips, when the chihuahua bounced excitedly onto his chest its thick black tongue slapping up and down. Sebastian fell back, 
the chihuahua eagerly lapping and licking at his face, and groaned. It was going to be a long day. The offices of the guild enclave, stretched up from the streets of Malifaux like a clenched fist, raised to strike down any who would oppose it. It stood presiding over the citizens of Malifaux, a square fortress-like building of impassive black stone. A steady stream of people flowed in and out of its doors. Guild bureaucrats, swathed in heavy robes of office, rubbed elbows with sinister, masked lawyers. Pasty-skinned office clerks dodged past burly guild guards, replete in their dress uniforms. Here and there, the common folk formed seemingly endless lines, their tight expressions and worry-lined brows speaking volumes as they shuffled inexorably towards the cavernous public entrances. The festival atmosphere, present elsewhere in the city, was noticeably absent here. Even the glorious weather seemed somehow muted, reduced to a thin, one light in the face of the monolithic power of the guild. Sebastian stood nervously on the far side of the public approach. As the coroner's assistant, he was no stranger to this place. Its forbidding nature held no fears for him, and its whispered secrets paled when compared to the things he had seen. However, the dozens of armed guards were another matter entirely. Clyde stood, motionless as a corpse behind him. The heat of the day had exacerbated his usual aroma, and a singularly ripe stench clung to him. The incessant yipping of his second companion was absent for the time being, the infuriating creature content to gnaw on some hideous delicacy it had discovered. Sebastian briefly considered trying to kick it while it was preoccupied, but thought better of it. Getting inside the enclave appeared to be a more complex task than usual. Sebastian wondered if he should wait for sundown. The crowds would thin, the officials would leave, and the lengthening shadows would help hide his approach. But dusk would be a long time coming, and the thought of hiding in the shadows with a punchant golem and a constantly yapping chihuahua spurred him into action. Sebastian edged along the street, away from the main entrance. Squads of heavily armed guards stomped back and forth, and he was vigilant in giving each a wide berth. Finally, a small door came into view from the solid stone walls of the enclave. Waiting until the nearest guards were as far away as possible, Sebastian pointed at the door and shoved Clyde in the back as hard as he could. The flesh construct rocked forward on the balls of its feet, but otherwise did not move. The guards had turned and were starting their return journey a journey that would bring them perilously close to Sebastian's hiding spot. He pointed at the door again and shoved Clyde a second time. Still, the golem did not move. Exasperated, Sebastian tried a third time, even going so far as to mime the walking action with his fingers. Clyde remained motionless. The guards were swiftly approaching and would soon be upon them. Hobbling around in front of Clyde, Sebastian grabbed the flesh construct's face, pulling it down level with his own. A raw, bloodless hole gaped out from the sack. He stared for a second, before finally noticing a length of twitching tissue disappear into the chihuahua's mouth, and with a sharp, apple-like crunch, the missing orb was gone. His panic rising, 
Sebastian wrenched the sack across Clyde's face, desperate to expose the golem's remaining good eye. The guards, now only steps away from them, had stopped, one of them fumbling with his pocket watch. His heart hammering in his chest, and Clyde's eye now able to see. Sebastian pointed at the door and kicked Clyde savagely in the backside. The flesh construct lurched forward, striding across the street. Sebastian waddled after it, sweat pouring down his face. As they reached the other side, he glanced fearfully back at the guards. To his relief, the squad remained where it was. An argument had broken out regarding the source of some hideous smell, and none of the guards was willing to take credit for it. Sebastian skidded to a halt and began pounding on the door. It took several tense moments for the door to open. It squealed and groaned in protestation. As soon as it was opened more than a foot, Sebastian, pushing Clyde ahead of him, forced his way inside and slammed the door shut behind him. Inside, the corridor was gloomy and blessedly cool. Sebastian stood for a moment, his breath coming in ragged gasps. Fat drops of sweat fell from his face and brow, and his stubby legs burned with effort. Presently, he became aware of a small collection of what appeared to be sticks and parchment wrapped in an ancient, faded, guild uniform. It was wriggling feebly and cursing like a navvy. Damn fool thing to do, pushing inside a guild building like that, it said in a voice so desiccated it could have sucked the sweat off Sebastian's brow. I could have mistaken you for an intruder. I have a sword, you know, and I ain't afraid to use it neither. Sebastian sagged and proffered the swearing refuse pile one meaty paw. A claw-like appendage emerged from the tangle of uniform and limbs and gripped Sebastian's outstretched hand fiercely. At least you've got the decency to help an old man up after knocking him down. There's plenty round here that don't. With Sebastian's aid, the thing on the floor unfolded into what appeared at first glance to be a piece of dried fruit given life. On closer inspection, the raisin thing actually turned out to be a man, a very, very old man. He stood eye to eye with Sebastian, dusting his antique uniform down with skeletal hands. His paper-thin flesh, lipless, toothless mouth, and liver-spotted bald head reminded Sebastian of an embalmed corpse he had once seen in his master's collection. One of his eyes was screwed tightly shut, and the other was so clouded with cataracts it could have passed for a child's marble. After spending some minutes patting and straightening his clothes, the man spoke again. So? What's the big hurry, Sebastian? You're lucky I didn't stick you with my blade. Then where would you be, eh? I'll tell you where you'd be, on the pointy end of a sharp lesson about manners, that's where you'd be. Sebastian opened his mouth to speak, but the wizened doorkeeper cut him off. Oh, don't give me that. I don't want none of your apologies and platitudes. They ring a little hollow after the twentieth time you've heard them. The doorkeeper fixed Clyde with his milky gaze and harump. And who's this then? Big fella, ain't he? One of the docks boys, is he? He offered a withered claw to Clyde. Mum Clarence, pleased to meet you. Clyde glared down at him. Come on then, lad, speak up, what's your name? Sebastian stepped in front of Clyde, raising his hands defensively. Quiet sort, is he? 
continued Clarence, oblivious to Sebastian's attempts at speech. Well, I've never been one to deny a man his right to silence. You might want to rethink the wardrobe, though, son. He gestured theatrically at Clyde's sack. Not very flattering to the physique, you know. Neither's a smell while we're making life decisions. You ever hear of a bath, boy? He pinched his nose with two pencil-like fingers and turned to Sebastian. Not exactly a scent to make a lady's knees tremble now, is it? At least, not in the way you'd want. Sebastian risked another attempt at speech, only for Clarence to interject again. Well, it's no matter either way, I suppose. Just more fine young fillies for me, eh? He nudged Sebastian in the ribs with an elbow sharper than any sword and winked conspiratorially. Well, I haven't got time to stand around here all day listening to you two go on and on. On your way, the pair of you, I'm a busy man. You think just anyone can stand guard on this door? It's a skill, you know. You need nerves of steel, keen senses, and a sword as swift as lightning to do my job. The doorkeeper hobbled over to an upturned stool by the door and, with considerable effort, righted it and sat down heavily. The ability to sit down for long periods of time also helps. He finished. Sebastian shook his head wearily and pushed Clyde down the dim corridor away from the mumbling doorkeeper. He had not gone more than a few steps when the decrepit guardian called him back. Hey! Hey, aren't you forgetting something? What about your dog? Sebastian turned and beheld the chihuahua. It was sandwiched between the wall and the door, its body compressed into the doorframe and its snout squished against the stones of the wall. One hind leg was kicking feebly in an attempt to free itself. As he watched, Clarence poked at it with the end of one foot. The chihuahua tried to growl menacingly, but its flattened jaw allowed only an angry buzz. For a long moment, Sebastian thought about leaving it there, before trudging back to help free the compacted canine. To the many citizens of Malifaux, the Guild Enclave appeared terrifying. The public waiting rooms and entrance corridors were bedecked with high Gothic arches and soaring Doric columns. Gargoyles intended to frighten and cow the masses leered down from cobwebbed perches and high plinths. Public applicants were forced to stand before towering lecterns, craning their necks to speak with the Guild's officers and functionaries. Those self-same representatives, dressed in bombastic uniforms and ominous masks, designed to inspire awe and reverence. In fact, the Guild owed as much of its reputation to the legion of tailors and architects in its service as it did to the actions of its witch-hunters and marshals. Away from the public areas, the pomp and spectacle gave way to a more serious and business-like setting. Practical, comfortable rooms replaced the shadowy, cavernous halls, and simple, utilitarian furnishings ousted the dread and intimidation of the earlier rooms. It was down one of these functional corridors that Sebastian now tramped. It was midday, and all but the most browbeaten or ambitious servants of the guild were taking luncheon. The lack of traffic in the halls of power played to Sebastian's favour, and he made swift progress in reaching the offices of Theodore Derber. After checking that no one was nearby, Sebastian rapped sharply on the door and waited. 
and waited. He knocked again, his swollen knuckles smarting. The sharp tattoo echoed away down the empty corridor, but still no answer came. After a third attempt, Sebastian was becoming annoyed. Perhaps Derba was out, enjoying a fine repast at a local pub. Perhaps he had arrived too late, and whatever calamity the guild bureaucrat feared had come to pass already. Whatever the reason, he could ill afford to stand here all day with a smelly flesh construct and a concertina chihuahua. He raised his hand for a final try when an agitated voice spoke from behind the door. You're not using the special knock, it said. Sebastian blinked. Sir? He replied. The knock. I described it in my letter. I was very specific. I'm not opening the door until you give the special knock. The hunchback sighed and slowly lowered his head, massaging the bridge of his nose between the fingers of his raised hand. If you don't use the knock, how do I know it's you? You could be anybody. You could be the marshals here to arrest me. Or you could be Justice herself ready to take my head. Sebastian looked resignedly at Clyde. You have to use the knock, it's important. Clyde stepped forward, knocking Sebastian bodily out of the way and in a single fluid motion, pressed both his huge hands against the door and pushed. From his keen vantage point, face down on the floor, Sebastian heard the effects of Clyde's titanic shove rather than saw them. The prelude was a startled yell, followed by a single thunderous crash and several smaller, expensive-sounding crashes. A terrified squeal and the mad scrabbling of well-heeled shoes provided a suitable second movement, and a foul-mouthed conglomeration of curses, threats, and watery-eyed pleading brought the whole symphony to a satisfying conclusion. Despite being knocked prone for the third time that day by the construct, Sebastian had to admire Clyde's rather direct solution. For the first time since leaving the laboratory, he was glad Clyde was accompanying him. Then the chihuahua bounded over, slathering his face in putrid spittle. Picking himself up, Sebastian shooed the irritating creature away and walked into Derba's office. The office door had been wrenched from its hinges and lay amidst a sea of shattered china and broken furniture. Derba himself, a painfully thin and unhealthy-looking man, bedecked in the sort of foppish finery guild bureaucrats were favouring these days, cowered behind his desk. He was brandishing a shoe and pleading with Clyde not to kill him. If the flesh construct was bothered by Derba's antics, it gave no inclination. As Sebastian stepped carefully over what once might have been a Three Kingdoms vase, Derba rounded on him, waving the shoe dramatically. That, he said, was not the knock. Sebastian shrugged. And what the devil is this thing? Derba returned to pointing his footwear at Clyde. Sebastian grinned and patted the flesh construct affectionately on the arm. I thought he was one of them. A death marshal come to drag me off to the cells or worse. Sebastian considered Clyde for a moment, eminently pleased with his efforts at disguise. He looked around for somewhere to sit before deciding that Clyde's entrance had rather ruined that idea. The chihuahua came bounding in and began snuffling around in the wreckage. Derba shrieked and pointed his apparently weaponized shoe at it. 
And what is that? He squeaked. Does Dr. McMorning always conduct his private affairs in this fashion? Sebastian had recovered the heavy door from where it had fallen, oblivious to Derber's questions as he attempted to balance it back against the frame. Where is Dr. McMorning anyway? Asked Derber. I was very specific in my letter that he and he alone should consult with me here. The matter at hand is very delicate. Sebastian gave up on his attempts at repair, content to let the heavy wooden door rest against the wall partially wedged into the hole Clyde had created. He gave Derber his best simpleton smile, complete with nomadic eye, and shrugged. Derber looked utterly crestfallen. Oh, I say, this really is too much. His voice cracked and he sniffed, tears brimming around his eyes. I'm in enough trouble as it is, without the one man who owes me a favour or two, sending a half-wit, a monster, and a giant rat to destroy my lovely office. He produced a handkerchief, more lace than cloth, from his pocket, and dabbed at his eyes. Sebastian watched as he delicately blew his nose, tucked the hanky away, and cleared his throat. Well, I suppose poor help is better than no help. He began. I'm sure you're aware of my relationship with your master. So I shan't reiterate the aid I have rendered him, nor how he supplies me with a company. Suffice it to say the two of us have a mutually beneficial relationship. Sebastian shifted irritably. He'd never met Derber before, but he had an inkling how this conversation was going to play out. Anyway... In recent weeks, the marshals have been sniffing around, asking their damnable questions and pointing their fingers at me. I don't understand it. I've always been very discreet in my romantic endeavours. Never put a foot wrong, or any other limb for that matter. Somehow the blighters are on to me and I need your master to, well, to make it all go away, or something. Derber stuck his bottom lip out and sighed pathetically. For a moment, Sebastian feared he would start crying again. He considered all the guild officer had said. There was little he could do himself. In truth, there was little he wanted to do to help this effete guild nobody and his sordid dilemma. But his master had entrusted this task to him, and Sebastian was nothing if not loyal. Well, say something at least, said Derber. I know you look pretty gormless, but I assume Dr. McMorning trusts you enough to deal with this. I mean, do you know what the marshals will do if they catch me? They'll kill me, kill me! Perhaps it was Derber's frantic tone. Perhaps it was because he gripped Clyde's sap with both hands. It may even have been his unfortunate turn of phrase, but something fired in Clyde's brain. The flesh construct lunged forward. Its right hand shot out, gripping the hapless Derber by the throat and lifting him clear off the ground. Derber choked out a bubbling screech and started thrashing like a fish on a hook. Sebastian cried out in alarm and waddled over to the murderous flesh construct, setting about it with his fists. The noise alerted the chihuahua. It bounced over to the fray, yapping excitedly, and started biting at Derber's dangling feet. Derber swatted feebly at Clyde with his shoe. The expensive footwear proved to be a poor weapon, bouncing harmlessly off the golem's face and neck. Sebastian leapt up, hooking his arms around Clyde's outstretched limb, and heaved. 
Clyde swayed unsteadily for a moment, but refused to fall. Durba's laboured gasps were becoming weaker by the moment. The chihuahua had taken a good hold of his undressed foot and was worrying it with great enthusiasm. Sebastian let go of Clyde's arm and cast about for his heavy sack. Realising he must have left it outside, he rushed for the door and dragged the primitive barricade he had erected away. Behind him, Durba's frantic wheezing drew ever quieter. He spied the sack lying on the floor where Clyde had previously knocked him aside and grabbed it. Rushing back into the room, he saw that Durba was turning blue, his tongue flopping out his mouth in a hideous parody of the chihuahua currently gnawing on his foot. Sebastian dropped the sack and fished his mighty circular saw from its contents. He threw the complex harness and pump over his shoulders with practised ease and pulled the ignition cord. The lethal tool roared into life on the first try. Sebastian hurried up to Clyde and brought the saw down on his extended arm. The blade bit into the dead flesh with terrifying ease, carving through the muscle and bone effortlessly. Sticky black necrotic fluid sprayed out from the wound, propelled by the spinning blade, and splashed across Durba's desk. Durba's twitching body fell to the ground, taking Clyde's cleanly severed limb with it. Sebastian grabbed the detached arm and pried the fingers loose from Durba's battered throat. The guild bureaucrat stared up at him with glassy eyes, his slack features a vivid purple. Sebastian had seen this look many times before. He was too late. The hunchback turned and glared at Clyde. The flesh construct was staring, uncomprehending, at its recently shortened arm. It slowly wiggled the stump and let out a tiny whimper. The chihuahua finally succeeded in chewing off a toe and scampered away from Durba's body as Sebastian swung another kick at it. Looking around the room, Sebastian decided that a swift retreat was the order of the day, but there was no sense in letting a perfectly good corpse go to waste. He started up his saw again and slowly lowered the blade towards Durba's body. That's it for another episode of The Weird Chronicles. Join us next time for the conclusion of The Errand. <laughs>